morning. My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, before we jump into the message, which is what we're going to do next, I want to dismiss the children. So if you are here and you are, have your children registered and would like them to head on out to uh, some uh, age-appropriate uh, uh, programming, that was, now's the time to do that. Before we jump into the message, too, as the kids are dismissing, want to make a just, just kind of talk a little about what's going on here. Just a few announcements I want to get over. Uh, Pastor Chris mentioned the bulletin, the tear-off. I uh, encourage everyone to fill that out this morning. And uh, as you fill it out, if you want to respond to some of these announcements, the tear-off is a great place to do that. You can simply uh, mark that there. Um, mark the tear-off. First announcement I want to draw attention to is um, our newcomers class. Uh, that is happening July 21st, which is next Monday. Uh, now, this is, a, you say, what's the newcomer's class? The newcomer's class is for any of you who say, hey, I'm, I'm new here. That's basically what it is. Uh, new could be this morning be your first morning. New could be you've been here a year, and you're just trying to kind of figure out the church. Is this a place where I'd like to call home? Is this a place where I want to plug in? Uh, why do you do what you do? Uh, kind of ask any question is kind of what this is. So happening July 21st, 630 to 830, it meets in my home. And uh, who is there leading it? There are other, some of our elders, which are leaders here at the church, opportunity to interact with them as well. So um, again, mark that on your tear-off if you'd like to be there. Next announcement I want to draw attention to is a car show. Um, this is our men's ministry is putting this together, Saturday, August 9th. And what they're specifically looking for right now are cars. Uh, so if you're here and you've got a car that, that, um, that isn't like my car, I don't think they want to look at my car. Uh, my car's got rust and it's a minivan and it's old. And I, I was told recently by a mechanic that I need to shoot the thing cause it's soon done. So you don't want to look at my car, but some of you have some nice cars. And so this is an opportunity to come on out and just gather and connect as men and do what men do and have some fun. So, um, you can mark that on your tear off as well. And just simply say, I got a car I'd like to bring in uh, final announcement. I want to draw attention to is happening this coming week. Uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with this immediate area here, Terry Hill Days happens at the end of this week, which is a big festival carnival that takes place there in the park. And uh, we are fireworks on Saturday night and all that good stuff. We are uh, going to be manning the kitchen on Saturday. And we're still looking for, I believe it's three people on the later time slot, which I think is 6 o'clock and on. Uh, so we're looking for some people to man the kitchen. And then we also have a tent that's set up where we're giving out free water and just interacting with people. People, give them a place to sit and shade if, if it's as hot as it's been. And um, uh, also walk around and pick trash up. So my family is going. It's a great thing to do as a family. Great opportunity for your kids to see, hey, let's be in the community. Let's be involved in the community. I'll also mention this. I know you're all going to, this is going to really encourage you to sign up. But um, there are T-shirts. So when you sign up, you're going to get one of these cool T-shirts to wear. Um, there it is. Some of you just said, well, that's reason not to sign up. I don't wear T-shirts. My wife, for instance, she doesn't wear T-shirts. I don't understand it, but she's not a T-shirt wearer. So anyway, uh, that's this, that's this uh, weekend. Final thing I'll mention is this morning, our teens, uh, eight of them, uh, left at 4 a.m. to head to North Carolina, Monroe, North Carolina, on a missions trip. And uh, so 4 a.m., I was sound asleep. Uh, we texted with Grant this morning. Grant is the leader. Um, there are also three other leaders there here from the church that are with them. And at, at like 8 o'clock, they were in Harrisonburg, West Virginia. So I think they're making good time, doing good. I hope we don't get a speeding ticket to deal with it at 
later levels. But anyway, please continue to keep them in prayer. They come back next Saturday. So they'll be going all week long. So I'd encourage you uh, as you're praying this week, just kind of remember to keep them in prayer. So other things going on. There's other stuff there in your, in your bulletin. I um, want to encourage you to check that out. Other thing, too, some of you have been asking about my leg. I'll give you a quick update. I see the doctor tomorrow, and it looks like they might be moving me to sneakers within a week or two. So it has been a long time in this. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I, I told Tanya, when we get to sneakers, uh, we're going to the Nike Island. We're going to pick out the best pair of shoes I can find because... <laughs> Um, this shoe is completely worn out because I haven't, and this shoe and this that would be on this foot looks brand new. So we got to, got to level that thing out. So anyway, let me pray for us. And then we're going to continue in our series, uh, Colossians. God, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for Jesus. God, as we gather together here, uh, and a lot of hopes and anticipations in people's heart, there's a lot of fears, worries, and anxiety. God, as we open up your word, we anticipate meeting you, learning about you, loving you more. Uh, God, this morning as we talk about a very relevant subject, kind of kick the subject of marriage shows up here in Colossians as we continue our series, God. And whether people here this morning single and desire to be married, uh, God, may they see a picture of uh, what they're looking for. And God, whether people are here this morning and they're married um, and trying to make it work, or whether they're here and they're in second marriages or broken marriages. God, would you, would you meet us in those places and uh, give us hope and encouragement in life as we interact with your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we continue our series, we're going to in the, in the book of Colossians. I'm going to back that up. That's not, hold on a sec. There we go. Um, we're in the book of Colossians, uh, on page 71, if you have a journal reading plan, I would encourage you, if you don't have one, they're free, they're out, they're out in the uh, foyer, um, page 71 there, a place to take some notes, but we've been talking about this, this reality in the book of Colossians written by a guy named Paul, uh, who loved, he, he hated the church and then tried to, he just tried to wipe the church out, the church of Jesus Christ. Well, then he himself uh, ends up meeting Jesus, and then he turns around and starts planting churches. And he plants a church. He's a part of a church in Colossae, which is the name of the town. And he writes this letter back. And the letter is, the letter, I think this is a letter that would be written to us today, us in, in many of churches in America. It's a letter that's written back and saying, listen, you guys started, you, you love Jesus. You came to faith in Jesus. You sprung up as a church because of what Jesus has done, but you've slipped kind of away from that message of Jesus, period. In other words, you relate to God by Jesus alone, period. But the church had kind of slipped into bringing in some sentimental towels, spirituality, and some other things that just didn't resemble Jesus. So he's writing to say, hey, it's Jesus, period. Now, the early parts of the book, chapters 1 and 2, are are what we would call theology. They're kind of the reality of who Jesus is and kind of the kicking around the, the, the philosophy and theology of God and Jesus and how you get into heaven and a relationship and how you stay there and all that. And then chapter 3 begins a shift into kind of some what we would call practice. So if this is true, Jesus is in you and you are in him. Now, this is what life looks like. Uh, and here's how you do it. Now, we've been talking about that. and We get into a little later in chapter 3. And the, we get into some real practical stuff now. This week, next week, and the following week are about as practical as it gets. Uh, and the first real practical point that he hits head on with a lot of intensity is this subject of marriage. Now, when I think about marriage, when I think about marriage today, <laughs> I have to think about my mom. My mom works at CarMax in Lancaster selling cars. 
Now, when you go to my mom to buy a car, same as you go to any car salesman, um, they're going to, they're not going to, when you, when you walk out to see the car, they aren't going to, they generally don't sit and walk around and point out all the horrible things about the car. Why don't they do that? There's horrible things to point out just about every car, unless you're buying a brand new car, and then they can talk about the depreciation and all the other terrible things about it. But car salesmen don't do that. Why don't they do that? They want you to buy the car. Now, I find when it comes to marriage in the church, <laughs> we are terrible salesmen. When I hear marriage, even when I come to weddings, so often I hear the pastor stand up in a wedding. I've been guilty of this at times. We stand and talk about all the trouble they're going to have and all the hardship that's coming. Now, I think it's appropriate to warn people that marriage isn't easy, but marriage is glorious. It's a gift. It's incredible. And I don't think there's another relationship on the planet that resembles the relationship that God wants with us more so than what marriage does. In fact, in the scriptures, it says that this this thing of a wife and a husband coming together as one resembles the relationship, the covenant relationship that God wants with every single one of us. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's a picture of, the, in essence, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we in the church, I think, are terrible salesmen. So my heart this morning is to kind of kick this thing around because the one thing I know for sure is those of you who are in marriage, you want it to work. You want it to work. So here at a wedding yesterday in this room, and as that couple stood right here in front of me, I promise you, they were not sitting here thinking when they made their vows and their covenant before God, they were not thinking, gee, I'm shooting for five years. They're thinking lifetime. Those of you who right now are in marriage, even the marriages of those of you here that are struggling in marriage, you want it to work. Matter of fact, I've never met a divorced person who says, I'm really glad I went through that. I'm really happy that happened. That was my goal. I've never met a divorced person who doesn't walk away with some, some level of pain and tearing. We want marriage to work. And when it does, it is an incredible gift. It's a picture of the gospel. Now, as you think about marriage, if you go on your, I apologize, our Wi-Fi is spotty. We're having some issues, and some of you are like, I can't find it on my, my Bible app, and apologize. But if you get on Google, those of you who have strong enough phones to get a signal in here without Wi-Fi, and you go on and Google the top reasons marriages split, you're going to read all kinds of things. You're going to read about money. You're going to read about sex. You're going to read about child rearing. You're going to read all kinds of stuff. The one that we don't read about because it's hard to measure, I think that's why we don't read, it's not because it's, they, people ignore it, it's hard to measure. The one we don't read about, in my opinion, splits marriages probably more than any other issue. It's, it hangs right up there at the top. And what it is, it's the issue of the role of the man and the role of the woman. What does it mean to lead? And then this other word that is that's hard for us to swallow in our culture, what does it mean to Submit. What do those two words, how do they work together? How do they happen? So what I want to do this morning is we, in Colossians, is we want to talk about this reality. We want to talk about the role of men and women. And in a Christian marriage, both men and women get to play the Jesus role. Is what I'll, I put it in quotes because it doesn't mean to play the Jesus role. In fact, I've heard it said that Christian marriage is more about let's out-submit one another. 
is the man and the wife. Let's really, let's really learn to outsubmit. But, but ultimately, both man and both woman, as we're in a book in Colossians, talking about Jesus, period, and Jesus in me, both of us, the husband and the wife, both play a role that Jesus played here on earth. Different roles, but it's still the Jesus role. So if you turn with me at Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're at, verses 18 and 19. Colossians is in, those of you that are new to the Bible or new to Christianity, Colossians is in what we call the New Testament, which is the stuff that was written after Jesus' life. We have this fun little pinwheel. Colossians is, sits right between the books of Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. Colossians chapter 3. Two simple verses. Simple but packed with uh, tough, practical living. Verse 18 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, I'd love to just shut it and say, amen, let's go home. But these verses, as simple as they are when we read them on the page, are filled, filled with questions and heartache. And what do I do with Remember, it's kind of interesting to me. I, I hesitated. Last time we did a marriage series and we got to the issue of women submitting, I actually, Chris ended up preaching that, series, that message. I was like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the smart pastor here. <laughs> Turned it over to the young guy. Let him take it on. I went back through my notes, and to the best of my understanding, I have never preached on the subject of women submitting. So this is the first for me. I've talked about it. I've hit around it in other marriage stuff, but I've never really just taken a chunk of time. Let's talk. So we're going to do that. We're going to start out with that. We're going to get to the men too. Um, I have talked to men before, but but want to start out. We're talk about this submission piece. And here's what I want to say right up front: submission is a gift. It's a gift. Those of you who are married, women in the room, women in the room who desire to be married one day. We look at submission as this thing that subjugates and steals liberty and freedom and, and pushes all, I mean, really just kind of abuses women in, in some ways, and our culture looks at it. But submission is actually an incredible gift. And if submission is done well, women, please hear this. You end up being exalted to the position that you truly desire to have in your marriage. It's a gorgeous thing, and it's the role that Jesus played. Now, to help us unpack this, to help us unpack this, I want to look at the text. Right away it comes in, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I wanted to just point out, it doesn't say if he is worthy of it. Same thing as husbands. You're going to be told to love and not treat harshly. It doesn't say if they're worthy. One of the things I find is I find uh, at times we want to step back and say, well, they're not worthy of it. Well, one of my things I want to just kind of get as we talk about this thing being a gift, when you treat someone with honor, you might be surprised. They may respond honorably. So I want to kind of push back and kind of talk about this reality. I want to start, I think we have to start in Genesis chapter 3. So I'm going to read in a minute. Genesis chapter 2 happens. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see the creation of man and we see the creation of woman. And we see Adam, who is the first man, and he's alone in the garden. God makes him and forms him in his image. And he's sitting there and he's naming all the animals. He's been given that task to do. And all the animals are coming to him and he's naming them. And suddenly he steps back and he realizes, oh, wait a minute. I'm alone. Every animal that I've seen come to me has come in a pair. It's come in, it's come in a male version and a female version. And so I think in his heart, he's beginning to sense loss. He's beginning to sense this is a perfect world, but where's my counterpart? So God creates female. God creates Eve. Now, we talked about this, if you remember, if you were here, in our Genesis series, Out of Eden, last summer. 
Again, I encourage you, if, I'm not going to go too deep with this, but, but go back there and find it there. We really talked about what it meant before sin entered the world, women were created like opposite the man. And they were created as a helper. And all a helper is, it's the same word that God uses for the Holy Spirit. And it's a word of coming alongside, and it's not, a, it's not this harsh subject them to, it's, it's coming alongside and supporting them. And it's, it's the word that it's, it's like saying, right now, I have someone helping me to mow my lawn. Now, the reality is I can't mow my lawn. And sometimes when we think of the word helper, we think of, well, I could do it, but it's just nice to have them with me to help out. Helper in the original language is like, no, you can't do it. You need this person to come alongside of you. So now, that's the perfect world. That's the world in which God creates man and God creates woman. Well, Genesis chapter 3 happens, and they eat the fruit, the forbidden fruit. And there's a curse that falls upon. It doesn't fall on the people directly, but it falls on the role. What we really see happen is the curse that comes, it kind of hits directly the role of woman and the role of man. And to the woman, here's what's said. To the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Now, women in the room of children, you're saying, amen, I hear that one. I mean, I've, I've been with my wife through the birth of four children, and I understand that reality. Now, the next verse, though, says this. The next phrase in the verse is this. The second aspect of the curse, he's going to come at the role of this role of what it means to be a helper, what it means to submit and walk alongside of, of the man. Your desire will be for your husband, and what's it say? He will rule over you. Now, this is a statement made in the context of this is the curse. This is what it's going to be from here on out. This isn't how I designed it to be, but this is what's going to happen. Now, when you unpack this, when it says your desire, that's a tough word because in the original languages, that only shows up in our Old Testament, the early parts of our Bible that were originally written in Hebrew, that only shows up roughly six or seven times. And almost every time that word shows up to try and figure out what does it mean here, it's in a sexual context. So in other words, it's almost like saying the, the wife is now going to sexually want to be with her husband. Now, I step back and I look at that and I say, guys, see if you go track with me in this. I say, I hope... I hope my wife wanting to have sex with me is not a result of the fall. I hope she, if sin weren't present, she'd still want to. So I look at that and I say, that can't be. Not only that, but my, my short years in life have found, as I've done a lot of marriage counseling, have found that a lot of times women don't really desire that. It tends to kind of wane as the years. You hear men complain about it and all that stuff. So I say, well, it can't mean that. So it's got to mean something beyond that. So you kind of dig it out. I think what God is, is going to think of the role of the woman. I think what he's saying is wives... Women, what you're going to desire now is your husband's role. You're going to want to step in two things. I think you're going to want to step in when he is not leading and push him to lead. You're going to crave that leadership that he's not giving you that you wish you had. Or you're going to step in and you're just going to usurp it. Then this he will rule over you. In the original language, this isn't a gentle servant leveled role. This is a, I'm going to get you. We're going to hit hard. So it's like the wife is going to come in and nag and push and whatever else she may do. And the husband's going to rear up and say, that's it. You're done and knock her down. It's going to rule. It's going to be an iron fisted. I am going to rule you. Now, we've seen that unfold over the years in marriage. I've seen as I've sat in my own marriage, I've watched this, that picture play out at times. I've sat in a, in a counseling room with, with people over the years and have seen this play out. So what do we do with it? 
When I talk about playing the Jesus role, here's the verse that I think about. It's in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, in your relationships with one another, now this isn't written to married, to, for marriage, but I think it's a great picture. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, so be like, have the attitude of Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So I want to pause right there. Don't miss this. This is huge. So Jesus, who is fully God, Jesus is a part of the Trinity. Jesus is in heaven enjoying the, the beautiful union of what it means to be the creator God of the universe. And it says what he decides to do is he steps into humanity and he's not going to do it to his own advantage. So he's got his divinity. He's got who he fully is, but he's going to step in and not use it to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, don't miss this next statement. Therefore, say it with me, God exalted him. Therefore, God exalted him. And you continue reading to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, to the glory of God. One of the themes we're going to end this whole series to the glory of God, marriage, to the glory of God. Now, as I think about this, you think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, the, his, his final hours, he is on his knees. He is praying. He is, he is, it, the Luke describes it as he has, his sweat looks like blood. So the medical condition, you talk to doctors and they, they understand that he's, he's under such incredible pressure and anxiety and stress and, and wrestling. And he's trying to, I mean, he knows death is coming. What he's saying to God is God, anything but this. Is there any other way to bring glory to you, to bring your creation back into peace with you? Is there any other way to do it? Now, keep in mind, he is fully God. But he submits himself to the Father's will. And the Father, we don't know the answer. We don't have that recorded in Scripture. But obviously, the answer was, sorry, there's no other way for this. So not to his own advantage, he steps to the cross And he's exalted. Today we talk about him all over the world. Now this is where I pull in for women. Play the Jesus role. Jesus submitted to God. Jesus submitted to death. Tim Keller's wife, Kathy Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor in in, uh, New York City. Very respected. Um, They've spent a lot of time talking about marriage. They have roughly 60 to 70% of their church is single. uh, Professionals in Manhattan. And uh, so they spend a lot of time talking about what marriage is, very culturally relevant discussions. And here's one of the things she says. I love this. If it was not an assault on the dignity and divinity of the second person of the Godhead to submit himself and assume the role of a servant, then how could it possibly injure me to be asked to play out the Jesus role in my marriage? See what she's saying? It didn't assault him. He willingly laid it down. It didn't injure him ultimately. Ultimately, as it said in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2, it exalted him. It's one of my things I believe when women play the Jesus role of submission, it's a gift to their husband. 
It's a gift to the marriage, and it's a gift to the world. And ultimately, I believe with all my heart, when women do it well, their husbands exalt them. You see it over and over. Now, as I unpack this, you think about Jesus. You think about this statement. Jesus deferred to the Father. Jesus took the subordinate role. He didn't have to. He willingly took it. Now, as you think about that, and I think about his movement in that, I believe it doesn't show his weakness, but rather his greatness. Submission is not a weakness. Women, again, I'd encourage, when you talk about submission, it's play the Jesus role. Jesus, who is your life. We've been talking about this through the book. He is in me. I am in him. I am hidden in him. I am righteous. And you go on to this also, in him. So he is your life. So play out who he is, who your life is. And I believe with all my heart, you'll find your husband exalting you. Now, I want to push in just a little deeper with this. The thought about that. I'm going to push in at the risk of entrenching some sick interpretations of this command. I've seen some sick, sick interpretations. I've heard them and seen them and my heart breaks. But if you turn with me to 1 Peter, I want to read one more verse. You're actually going to, again, this is in the New Testament. You're going to see it's right around um, the books of James. You're going to see Hebrews, James. You're going to see 1 Peter. I want to actually turn there. You're going to read this if you're in the reading plan. You're actually going to read this this week. It's a classic teaching on this subject. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So it's like there's something winsome about this behavior. There's something that's, again, it's a gift that's given. There's something winsome that that brings the husband to his senses. To love God and to love the word of God. Now, the thing that's important about this, wives in the same way. Now, when I read this, uh, later on, you're going to read about Abraham and you're going to read about Sarah. And a lot of people want to get back into that. And you read that Abraham actually gave his wife away to a, to a pharaoh, to a king of Egypt, as kind of because he was afraid of his own getting killed. So he's gonna, he plays off that Sarah is his sister and sends Sarah off to the court of Pharaoh so that Basically, so Pharaoh could have her as his own wife. And so people read this and get into this whole, get into this whole Sarah and Abraham and, well, how did it really work with them? So how should it work? But I think we, we miss it all together. Wives in the same way. The same way is what? Well, let's back up just a few verses. In the same way. What's he been talking about? Back up to verse 21 of chapter 2. It says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So Christ suffered that you may follow in his steps. Now verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In the same way, wives submit. In the same way as what? In the same way that Jesus lived. How did Jesus live? Well, when they hurled insults and horrible things were said to him, and he had his beard plucked out and he had thorns shoved down in his head, and he had a purple robe draped on him and people mocked him. He didn't rise up and say, I am in control. I am God and creator of the universe. I made you and I'm not going to strike you dead. He submits himself to the father and he says, I'm going to trust God. That God is in control of this. That God's called me to this. That this is what it's going to take to bring all of humanity, which we love, love to the point of death, to bring them all back together in peace with me. In the same way, wives are to submit. Now, that's hard. Now, I said I say it. I don't want to entrench some sick things that I've seen done. This is not an excuse for domestic violence. Women, if you are in a, in a relationship where you are being injured physically, I encourage you, I implore you, to talk to someone who can give you help, to call the police and take measures and take care of it. I'd also say this. I've heard this far too often. I've often heard this. I've heard it said, the woman can never say no to me sexually. Guys, that's rape. And not only that, women are sexual creatures too. They don't work like you do, but they also desire sexual intimacy. And I've heard far too many men, I've even heard counselors, pre-marriage counselors, brag and say, my wife has never said no. That's an unhealthy relationship. So I'm not saying this to encourage domestic violence. I'm not saying this to encourage the, the subjugation of women and beating them down and treating them. And so I'm not saying, so if you're having thorns pressed in your head like Jesus did, you just lay down and take it. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'd say if you're in those situations, please get help. But what I am saying, I want to push in a little bit because I, my heart breaks. I've heard one too many counselors. Now, there's a counselor that our church was sending people to that I won't send them to anymore because that counselor was far too quick to encourage separation and divorce. Claiming the Bible would not support a woman's mistreatment. Now, again, in this case, there wasn't domestic violence. But here's what I've learned. That counselor misunderstands something. In this life, we are living for something far bigger than my personal comfort and happiness. And too many people today chase after marriage for personal satisfaction. And that's the death of marriage. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to save us. He went with a much bigger picture. Why in 1 Peter 3... Is the reasoning for the woman to be submissive and quiet to win the man over. Something far bigger, the glory of God. Remember in Philippians chapter 2 when it said to the glory of God. We live for his glory. We live for something far bigger than mine. Now, if marriage is done well, you're going to be happy. It's phenomenal. But when my happiness suddenly goes out the window, it doesn't mean... Oh, my husband's emotionally abusive. It's time for me to leave him. No. 
it's time for you to step back and look at your own life and say, what does it really mean to submit in this context? Now, I'd love to give practical tools on what that really looks like. The submission changes a little. I understand that in that point. But I want to really push in and say, consider this, this reality. Also think that, too, Jesus trusted God. The final thing I'll say to women, I'm going to talk to men. Words that aren't flowing from a heart at rest in God's control come from a heart that seeks control. As I've interacted with that particular counselor that we don't send people to anymore and that I, I am very disheartened by, this is one of the concepts I've come back to. Who's in control? We can't live life with this idea that if I do, uh, it, it's, it's, I'm in control or God's in control. And if I can rest in his control. See, what I've seen happen, First Peter 3, I've seen it illustrated this way. You have the man, you have the woman, and you have God. God's trying to talk to the man. He's trying to get the man's attention. But as he's talking to the man, remember, he might even have a two-by-four out, swinging at the man. But guess, what's, guess who he's hitting every time he swings at the man? He's hitting the woman. And as the woman stands in the middle and doesn't play her role of saying, you know what, I am submissive, and the woman's going at the guy and going at the guy and nagging and all, what ends up happening, the man now is responding back to the woman. When who should he be responding back to? So if the woman would lay down, guess what's going to happen? It's now just God and the man. I find far too often that this is a broken situation where the man needs to hear from God, but he can't because he's too busy hearing from his wife about what he should be doing and not dealing with God directly. It's a big deal to me. Now, with that said, women are like, oh my gosh, let's end this. We're going to. Now it's your turn to nudge your husband. He's maybe sitting there wanting to nudge you, but he knows better, right? Happy wife, happy life. So now, your turn to nudge him, because we're going to turn to the men. And the men, the next verse, same deal. In marriage, both men and women get to play the Jesus role. So the Jesus role that women play is this role of willingly giving the gift of submission. Now, men, you get to play a different role. Look at verse 19 of Colossians. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, The role that the man plays is the role of leader. Now, here's a big deal to me. Man, I want to push in on this really hard. You are not the ultimate authority over your wife, period. I look at men sometimes as though they're the king of their little castle at 410 East Main Street. Like, that's my address. I am not the ultimate authority of my wife. Who is? God. God has given me the gift of leadership. God, I have derived leadership because I am not God. I am not a God. I, at times, unfortunately, act like I am in my home, but I am not a God. So I have to understand, men, I will challenge all of us, that as you walk with the woman that you call wife, you are not her ultimate authority. Your leadership is derived from the ultimate authority. Now, men, you are the stronger vessel. You say, what? You're going to read this this week. Husbands, in the same way. This, is, this continues. That First Peter 3 passage, it continues and says something very interesting. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, I'm not going to get into what that means. That's, we don't have time to unpack that, but 
You are the stronger vessel, the stronger partner. Your wife is delicate. She's precious. What do you do with strength that's been given to you? In John chapter 13, I think we have the greatest answer. You're to play the Jesus role. This is Jesus in John chapter 13. He's gathering with all his close buddies, his friends, his disciples. It's his final meal with them. He's about to die. The very ne- he's going to be arrested. He's going to be taken. He's, he's about to be hung on a cross the very next day. So here he is. It says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I want to pause right there. Do you understand what that was just read there? This is one of the most clear statements in all of the gospel accounts of the full power of Jesus. He is all of God's power resting on him. God says, I've given you all of my power. So because of the power, because of the authority I've given, because of this, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he served them. Husbands, you're the stronger vessel. Do you know what you do with your strength? Or to serve. I love this statement. Right at the pinnacle of the greatness of God. So, because of that greatness, he served. He loved. He washed feet. Powerful statement. As I think about this, I think about, um, we have flowers up here from the wedding yesterday. Think about when I was dating my wife. And she had moved to this area, to Reading. Uh, we met in upstate New York. She never heard of Reading or Lancaster anywhere around here. And she ends up by, by I think, the, the direction of God, ends up living with a lady in Reading. And I hear, I'm like, yes, because I live in Lancaster. I'm like, that's not that far apart. Well, this is awesome. So when I come home and break, I'm going to get to see you. So we're a continuous relationship. Now, I come home on one of our breaks, and I'm, we're dating, and so I'm going to go pick her up. So I stopped and picked up a rose, a single red rose, just to say I'm, I'm wild about you. I pick her up in my mom's brand new. She had a brand new Volkswagen Jetta. The thing only had like 1,000 miles on it. Uh, so I pick her up. I give her the rose. We're heading, down, heading home, and I pull out in front of a Jeep. Terrible move. That thing hit me head on, demolished both cars. They're done. Now, side note, my mom names all her cars, and she named this particular one Jezebel. If you know the Old Testament story, <laughs> hopping out of the Jeep was a dog who came around and started sniffing the car. I said, Mom, it was prophetic. It's your problem. You name it. It's not my fault. But anyway, on, but what I noticed... As, as the dog, we're getting out, and I'm making sure everyone's okay, and I, I feel horrible because it was my fault. It was 100% my fault. I was starstruck. I was in love. I wasn't paying attention. I'm talking, and it was all my fault. But that single rose, the delicate flower that it was, when I went around to examine the car, was up in the back of the car in a million pieces. Have you ever seen a rose get hit by an airbag? It was destroyed. I have never seen a rose blow apart like that. Guys, 1 Peter 3 says your wife is that rose. And when you mistreat it, it destroys it. With your power and your strength that you've been given, you're to lay your life down and serve, to love. That's the Jesus role men are called. Mark Driscoll says this. Actually, before I say that, men... Your, your wives don't want to be conquered with that strength. They want to be explored emotionally. Ephesians 5 says it this way. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now think about this. Husband, your, your role, your position has the ability to cleanse your wife and to present her as shining and radiant. Chase your wife into her sin. I hear husbands all the time. You don't know my wife. You don't live with her. She does this. She says that. She's sinful just as you are. But Romans chapter five says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I could not be who I am today if Jesus did not pursue me. It's Jesus' righteousness that made me righteous. And in the same way, it says, husbands, you have the ability to help your wife shine. Now, here's what I say. Mark Driscoll uh, in his book, Real Marriage, says this. Men are like trucks. They drive smoother and straighter with a load. Guys, there aren't enough men today. There's still little boys running around at times, playing their video games and having a good old time, but have not stepped to the plate of responsibility of what it is to lead. And I've never been a truck driver, but I'm told you drive that thing without a load in the back, it's, it's a little rough. Final thing I'll say with this one. Final thing I'll say. I say this to every marriage I do, every wedding I do. I look at the man right before I pronounce them husband and wife, right before I say, but the power vested in me and all that good stuff. I look at the man and I say, never some form of this, never stop pursuing and dating your wife. Never stop. You know why? Because the world and everything around is screaming for her attention. See guys, we chased our wives. Some of you say, well, I didn't. She chased me. I know. So that's, that happens at times. But men, you so badly wanted to be married to that girl. You so badly wanted it. You pursued her. You chased her. You brought her flowers and chocolates. And you had, a, you had your song. You did all kinds of stuff to pursue her. And for some reason, marriage happens. You walk out the door. You go on your honeymoon. And suddenly the husband stops chasing his wife. And I'd say, men, chase your wife. Never stop dating. Greatest advice, marriage advice I've ever been given. Now, the natural outcome of godly male leadership, in my opinion, is female fulfillment, not denial of female rights. A wife flourishes in these situations. I want to share one story. Um, I remember when I was dating, again, this is those of you who are single in the room. This is, this is important to pay attention to this stuff while you're dating. I was dating, and I went, was dating a girl. It was a girl right before I met Tanya. And I thought I was going to marry her. I really did. I thought, this is the girl. I'm heading down to um, the south, where she is from, to meet her family. Drive down is about a 12-hour car ride from upstate New York, where we were both living. Heading down into the deep south, and... Um, get down there and begin to meet and interact with the family. And I've, I've remembered as if it was oh yesterday, I'm sitting in the kind of in the dining area with like a, a counter that kind of wraps around and separates the dining area from the kitchen. The, the, her dad was sitting on the other side. So we're sitting there having a conversation, just talking casually, getting to know him. He's getting to know me. The girl that I was dating was kind of around the corner and out of sight over in a living room doing some schoolwork that she had to get done before she went back um, to school. The dad's sitting there, and suddenly he decides he's thirsty for iced tea. So he just blurts out her name, 
No please, no will you, no, just blurts her name out and says, fetch me an iced tea. Now, when I heard this, I was stunned because he was literally, if he had reached his hand back around, he could actually touch the refrigerator from where he was sitting. So I watch her get up from the chair where she was at. My mouth, I'm like, just pull your jaw up, Adam. She gets, comes walking in to the, to the kitchen, goes up, gets a glass, opens the refrigerator, pours him a glass, and goes and sets it down right in front of him. He never said thank you. He never showed any signs of gratitude and appreciation. And he turns, and she turns and walks right out of the room. And I'm sitting there like, what on earth was that? So even the conversation on the drive back to school, first thing I want to talk about, tell me about the iced tea situation. She says, well, what? I said, you don't find that abnormal? She says, well, no, I was called to submit. And I think if I'm going to be a submissive wife, I've got to learn it now as a single. I looked at her and I said, that's not submission. That's abuse. That's sick. Now, my words were a little extreme. I can do that at times. But that's what I said to her because it was so foreign to me. I said, your dad didn't display any level this whole weekend, let alone in that situation, as being a servant of dying to self. And what I learned in that situation, number one, I learned that I can't marry her because I, I need someone who is going to understand submission in a far, someone understands submission in a way that it, that's far different from that. But more than that, what I learned in that setting, what I learned in that setting and began to wrestle with is Christian marriage, what I've learned about it, it's more about learning to outsubmit one another, playing the Jesus role. It's not about going 50 50. Okay, you give your part, I give my part, we'll meet in the middle. It's about 100% full on learning to say, I'm going to outsubmit you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to die to you. Now, that doesn't negate the role of submission that the wife has and the role of leadership that the man has, but I'm saying that's Christian marriage. And men, I'd end with this thought and challenge. If you're willing, if you're willing, go home and ask your wife, what is it like to be married to me? And then shut your mouth and listen. So I find men that complain about their wives all the time, but I find men in Lancaster County and specifically, I think this is a male trait, but in this area, passive aggressive is off the charts. And men, be a man. Speak when you need to speak and shut up when you need to shut up. Go home and ask your wife, what's it like to be married to me? What's it like to follow my lead? Is it hard for you to submit? Do you see me playing the role of Jesus? Do you see me taking my towel off and serving? Or do you see a man who's harsh with his words? See a man who's so, because see what harsh words are? Harsh words are seeking to control and to step in and, and, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge here. And I'm, it's, it's stealing their voice and their personhood. So man, go home today. Maybe you got to think about this a little bit and do it tomorrow. Or maybe do it in two weeks so they don't say, well, so the wife is sitting beside you and say, oh, see, Adam told you to do this. Do it, get, do it, do it in a month when you can get the credit for it. Just say, hey, honey, you know, ask them, what's it like to be married to me? I'm going to close with some prayer and we're going to watch a video uh, that I think, I think will capture the heart and stir the emotions of what marriage and the power uh, that marriage is. God, thank you so much for Jesus. 
Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for um, who you are. God, help us as men to lead well. God, so that submission isn't even an issue. The wife wants to submit because it's such respect and love for the, for the service that the husband gives. God, help us both to play the Jesus role. Help women to play the role of Jesus and laying their, their that <laughs> Jesus laid down, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, he didn't use it to his own advantage, but he stepped towards humanity to serve. God, the man, God, we play the Jesus role and that we're to die to ourselves. We're to chase our wife into dark places, to walk with her as the weaker vessel, to love her and help her to be radiant and shine. God, I pray that we have a lot of shining wives here at Bethany that are radiant and beautiful because they've got strong men lifting them up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you watch that video, and I don't know where that video finds you. Some of you say, well, I don't, I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm past that. My point of redemption isn't bringing a family back together. I've made too many mistakes. They're now remarried, or I'm now remarried. But I do know this. Wherever you find yourself today, whether you're single desiring to be married, whether you're remarried already and you have another family, maybe you have two families now, whether you're just sitting here saying, I'm trying to put this marriage together, one thing I know for certain When you watch a video like that, it stirs the emotion because it's how God designed us. We want successful marriages. You want it. I know it. I've never met a person who wants this thing to fail, who doesn't desire beautiful, radiant love to play itself out in a home. So we're going to close, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to close in music. And again, I just challenge you, wherever you are today, to embrace that place where Jesus has you and say, he loves me. He's called me to live out the role of what it means to be a woman, his role. Men, he's called me to live out the role, his role, in the place where he has you today. And the beauty is, when you see that family come back together and you see this over and you see it in Titus 3, you see it in 1 Peter 3, God has designed the family to reflect him, to reflect who he is. God has designed evangelism first and foremost to flow from the home. And when the home is done well, he is glorified beautifully. And when the home is not, it actually says in Titus chapter 3 that the word of God is maligned. We don't want that. You don't want that. God's calling you to great things in marriage. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, again, help us to do marriage well. Help us to play that role that Jesus role, whether we're a man or a woman, we have a role to play that resembles Jesus. Give us strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the offering's taken, we're going to close in songs. I encourage you to stand, sing this one last song about the, the great love of God.